This is On and Off Your Mat podcast episode 33, the place of yoga in healing. My name is Erica and I'm your host. For this episode, I sat down with Melissa McLaughlin. Melissa is a San Francisco-based area yoga teacher and American College of Sport Medicine certified personal trainer. Her yoga journey began in 2008 when she discovered and fell in love with the Shivananda yoga lineage. The blend of simple yoga postures, breathing practices, and devotional chanting resonated deeply with her curious and philosophical nature. After years of dedicated practice with some of the West's most senior yoga teachers, Melissa took her first formal teacher training where she became fascinated with the structure of the human body and went on to intensively study Western exercise science and anatomy, which deeply influences the way she approaches teaching asana today. As always, I really appreciate your support with this podcast. So if you take a minute to leave a review on iTunes or on the iPhone podcast app, you automatically enter our giveaway. Atlana is continuing to support this podcast in their effort to ignite a community of strong women who lift each other up and is giving out a $75 shop card. If you want to know more about the giveaway, stay tuned. I'll give a bit more details at the end of the show and I'll announce the winner of our last one. So if you left a review, make sure to stick all the way till the end. Last episode, I also announced a new way for you to support this podcast. I'm now part of Patreon. Patreon is a web platform where you can donate to support the podcast financially and you can become a monthly member. Donators will get shout outs on the episode and I'll be forever grateful. And monthly members will receive exclusive content, mini shows, guided meditation, guided flows, and so much more. Our first exclusive episode will be about me. So thank you so much if you send questions my way. I got a bunch. Your support means a lot and it will help me continue to offer quality content here for free and even potentially offer more content. So you can visit my Patreon page at patreon.com slash on and off your mat. And Patreon is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash on and off your mat. Right now, you have an intro video there that I made. You can listen to that. You can already make a donation. You can also already become a member and pledge. But uh, exclusive content is not quite up yet, but it's coming soon, I promise. Okay, enough chatting. Let's get to the episode. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Erica. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Melissa is a yoga and meditation teacher here in the Bay Area, but also has a background of personal training, so her classes are grounded in exercise science and in anatomy. She has experienced many different challenges in life, like all of us, but she's used yoga as part of her healing process, so when we recently sat down to talk about her life, I was amazed by her journey, so I thought it'd be interesting to sit down again and actually record that conversation and make a (laughs) podcast out of it. How's that sound? Sounds awesome. Great. For listeners that don't know you very well, don't know you at all, can you tell us about yourself, your background, and your yoga journey a little bit? Sure. Um, Like you said, my name is Melissa. I live here in the Bay Area. Um, And, you know, like so many of us, I have a story. Mm -hmm. And our stories are a tool of, you know, maybe we don't hear the language or the exact characters or specifics in each other's stories. They're not the same. But we can thread through similar feelings of uh, just feeling lost, alone, um, sometimes strong, sometimes not really knowing which direction to turn. And so hopefully in you know telling my story, um, maybe it's just entertaining, get some laughs, or to just feel like we're all together in this journey. And so when I 
Well, to get to yoga, it takes time. I think we all start somewhere Mm pre-yoga. And then yoga, for some of us, is like a final destination of a quest. And I definitely feel like my yoga journey is, is like that. I was born um, into a an evangelical household, mm-hmm. evangelical Christian household. And um, I loved the spiritual Baptist life when I was a kid. I loved going to church. I loved singing. I loved memorizing Bible verses. Um, I loved the community. I loved the feeling I had of being in that space. And my relationship with God, I think, when I was a kid was a relationship of, of love. And when I was in elementary school, I had a, I have like all the, you know, we have like so many of us, we have these like crisis of character moments in our lives. <laughs> and my first one that I remember was in sixth grade where we're all, we're all very preoccupied with being cool. <laughs> and sometimes when we, when we want, you know, want to feel cool and look cool for other people, we use our powers, not for good, <laughs> but for, for evil. And in that case, like, you know, I just, um, for no better word to say, I was kind of getting into like a bully phase. I, um, to be funny mm-hmm. would make fun of other people. And I, uh, even made my sixth grade teacher cry, which <laughs> Like the year after I was in her sixth grade class, she transferred to kindergarten, which was probably a good move. But um, I, you know, for whatever reason, I was like, you know, this is not who I am. And meanwhile, I had this community at church of people who are my age who like seem really nice. And so I was like, well, I want to go to school with you guys. So in middle school, I went to a private Baptist school and I, it was my choice. Like my parents didn't force me to go. And um, a lot of the rules of that school, they never enforced on me. Um, so it was kind of a new <laughs> world for me. You know, <laughs> girls had to dress in a very specific way, mm-hmm. had to have like skirts down to our knees and always being wearing like hosiery. And um, I've been this tall since sixth grade. So it was hard for, it was hard pretty for tall. me. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty tall. Yeah. So for the listeners out there, I'm about 5'10 and I've been this tall since middle school. <laughs> Um, so it was tough for me. And then, and I had also been educated in public school up until that point. And so when I got to like seventh grade science class and they were like, the earth was created in seven days. And I was like, oh wait, you guys mean literally (laughs) seven days. Okay. So, you know, and then I, my personality and like every personality quiz that I've ever taken in my life is I'm like the questioner, Mm -hmm, the -hmm. debater, the I, I uh, eventually went into college and studied philosophy. Um, and so I was just like, I had a lot of questions. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know. And I felt that I wasn't encouraged to ask those questions. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that necessarily the, that the people in this space were bad or even that the certain elements of religion are are bad necessarily, but it wasn't nurturing of my spiritual curiosity and my desire to kind of dive into mystery. Mm. And so my response to that after being in middle school for two years, well, fortunately, at the end of middle school, we moved. (laughs) So I just was like, I'm done with this. I'm done with church. Um, And kind of went completely 180 the other direction was like, you know, believing in God is a weakness. Mm. Religion is stupid. Um, And that was where I was sat for a long time. And at the time, I didn't really notice that it was like a, like my first heartbreak, um, but really like turned my back on God. 
and didn't have necessarily the tools to navigate my way back yet. I couldn't really even use the word um, God in conversation with people. Um, and then, you know, I explored through life, went to college, was a philosophy major, um, traveled all, all over the world, read lots of books, um, and was, you know, really in, invested in questioning and um, moved to California, lived uh, in the outdoors, basically worked in the outdoors. I was a naturalist when I first moved out here after graduating from college and was in the community of, of exploring and and communing with nature and I, I really feel like nature was my way back to God. Um, and then I had another like crisis of character. My second crisis of character was when I became a philosophy major. My third crisis of character was um, what actually kind of like brought me back to God, I would say. And um, of course, shortly after that, <laughs> yoga pops up into my life. Um, I was on a summer long backpacking trip in Alaska with my best friend and uh for the listeners out there who've been to Alaska and have gone on any backpacking trips in Alaska, it's like not that. It's beautiful, but it is really punishing. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty stubborn. And um, so it was just like tripping over myself and being humbled and getting over my own logical mind and really coming like face to face with with God um, and having certain certain situations over that summer that were just just felt like signs that I would have excused as coincidences if they if it had just been one, but it was just a string mm, <laughs> over and mm -hmm. over again. Um, and then when I got back from that summer, I was uh, friends with, but I'm now married to um, my husband Patrick. Had just gone through something really difficult in his life as well, and he went to the Shivananda Ashram in Valmarin, Canada. And we were friendly at the time, and he was like, can I share this practice with you? And so we did kind of an abbreviated Shivananda practice. And then um, at the end of the Shivananda practice, it always concludes with like a, a bunch of Vedic mantras that are kind of, they're kind of like peace mantras. Mm -hmm. And he asked if he could chant them for me, um, chant them in the string. And when I was sitting there listening with my eyes closed. And maybe it was like, you know, my unrequited like love for him kind of mingled with destiny and karma. But I felt like it was like I'd heard, I'd heard it a million times, mm -hmm. you know, like it was like familiar, um, like hearing a Beatles song when you're a kid and you're like, oh, I've, I've heard this song. How do I already know all the lyrics to this song? Like that's what it felt like for me to hear those mantras. And from then on, it was like full, <laughs> full bore. I mean, I was... I had previously, like in college, I'd gone to a yoga class and I was very athletic. I was a long distance runner, marathon runner, outdoorsy, like backpacker, of course. Um, and I went to a yoga class and I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> it's like, I don't get that. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to do this. And then there were other times, other people who tried to introduce me to yoga um, and it just didn't really resonate with me. And that was the thing that really... Um, because it was like all of the quest that I had done from that time that I was a kid and turned my back mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, to coming back to a practice that was so nurturing of 
uh, mystical wonder Mm -hmm. and also just is at its core an inquiry practice. And that's really what I was doing in all that exploration. And so when I found it, I was like, man, you can you can explore without leaving your body. You don't have to like buy a plane ticket or like climb a mountain or like Mm. read 7000 books um, of course, I did read a lot of yoga texts afterwards. Um, I get very uh, singularly focused, and I became very singularly focused about yoga. Uh, the year and the year after I discovered yoga, I moved to China and um, practiced Shivananda. Some version of it every day. I had two recordings from the Valmarin Ashram of um, the Swami there leading through short practice and long practice. And like Shivananda yoga is no joke. It's like getting pushed into the deep end of like classical yoga tradition. You Mm -hmm. like chant the dhyana slokas at the beginning, which are like long, very complicated Vedic mantras, do 30 to 45 minutes of pranayama, do a pretty simplified um, asana sequence. It's like classical kind of low lunging, sun salutations, shavasana, Mm -hmm. headstand, Shavasana. Shavasana. <laughs> Shavasana. Um, but it was just what I needed and just what I needed. And I went to uh went to China with those audio recordings, light on yoga, the Bhagavad Gita, and a uh a set of Richard Freeman Ashtanga mm. Vinyasa DVDs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when I first just <laughs> like kind of became interested in Ashtanga and I would never really call myself a full bore Ashtanga. I was an Ashtanga light. <laughs> okay. But I remember I could, I didn't even practice them at the beginning. I just watched him. Mm-hmm. See, that's like the most amazing Asana practice that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll ever see. I don't know. He's really incredible. And so I was practicing Shivananda yoga and watching Richard Freeman do Ashtanga Vinyasa. Like all, unless I was traveling, like, and even then, um, you know, I started teaching yoga a little bit to like Chinese students. I found a, a yoga class in Chinese. Uh, and uh, yeah, <laughs> super fun. Uh, I still remember how to say inhale and exhale in Chinese. Xin qi, wu qi. And she, uh, this, and all of these Chinese women were so flexible. And I could do like a headstand and they thought it was the most amazing thing. So every time I did a headstand, they'd be like, oh my God. And they would just clap for me. <laughs> It was so amazing. Um, yeah, and then once I came back from China, I was definitely, like, fully into it. But the Shivananda yoga practice um, gave me, like, self-practice and self-discipline have never really been a challenge for me. And I think it was really in those first two years, and particularly when I was in China, and I didn't have a teacher beyond, like, the texts and the tradition to mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of get me through. Um, and, yeah, so... From from then on, I mean, it was it was yoga all the time, uh, and I ex- I experimented with with more um, traditions. Once I got back home, I started practicing Ashtanga yoga more, um, and yeah, I mean, that was kind of how I got into yoga the long way. Yeah, <laughs> the long way in. That's a good story. Yeah. Okay, so our subject of today is yoga and healing. So can you tell us a bit more about the challenges that you faced in the last few years and your journey through that healing process? Yeah. Um, so when I decided to, that I wanted to teach yoga, uh, things got really interesting. <laughs> it was like uh, when I think some people come to yoga to the practice when things are um, in a tough place mm-hmm. for them. 
Um, which makes sense. It's, it's a very nurturing, very healing practice, which I'll talk to, about in a moment. But I wasn't really in that kind of struggle when I came to yoga. It was part of um, what felt like a joyful quest and like a reuniting with the divine that I'd lost a little bit. And um, in a way to understand myself and my relationship to the world around me. And- How old were you at that point? When I found yoga, I was – so this was like 12 years ago. I'm 36, so like 24. Yeah. Um, so the, so when I, I, I've been teaching yoga for four, five, four, four or five years, five <laughs> years. I don't know, something like that. So um, on the first day of my like first formal yoga teacher training um, – and I'd pro- I've been studying for seven years, six or seven years up until that point, um, pretty seriously. And the I went for a run. Uh, we had a friend staying at the house, and uh, we are one of the walls in our house caught fire, <laughs> and we lost all of our possessions on the first day of my first two hundred hour yoga teacher training. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so as like the everything settled, uh-huh. um, uh, the the friend who was staying in the house, my husband was gone. Um, the friend who was staying in the house was actually our wedding photographer, and she was there shooting a, a different wedding. And she pulled some things out of the house: um, her camera equipment, our computers, my husband's guitar, and a copy of the Bhagavad Gita that I was going <laughs> to take with me. To the 200-hour yoga teacher training. Did she know about it? Like, how did she, she take just, that It up? was literally, like, on the way out of the doorway. And she's like, oh, that's important. And just grabbed it. Was she it a was yogi? Like, like, did she know what that text she, was? She was. She, okay. like, knew what the Bhagavad Gita was for okay. sure. Uh, she's a yoga practitioner. And, um, yeah, and it was, like, right in her line of sight. And she grabbed it. And, um, yeah, and it was wild. And then literally like two days later, we're going through all of our stuff and we realized that things below the smoke line were um, were okay. So like some of our shoes and um, in my husband's bedside table, there was, a, there was a drawer that was actually two drawers. Like everything in the top drawer was destroyed and then everything in the bottom drawer was fine. So it was like change and a copy of the Bible. So the only two books that survived the fire, this house fire... And I have a lot. I have a lot of books. I I have a lot of books now, even though I lost them all. <laughs> I collect books. I'm a book person. I love books. So we had a lot of books, and the only books that survived that fire on the first day of my 200 hour yoga teacher training were the Bhagavad Gita and the Bible. And I was just like, "Well, shit. I mean, I think this is the path. Like, I don't know. Okay, Om Namah Shivaya. I'm not in control here. Um, and I think that there are moments in our lives when we realize, like, oh, like this is why." This is why I practice because mm-hmm. not, you know, not every day like yoga sometimes is this beautiful, like transcendental experience. And sometimes it's like you're sitting in meditation for 20 minutes and you've been thinking about a burrito the whole time. And you're like, and the, the gong goes off on your smartphone. And you're like, oh, <laughs> oops. <laughs> so, but it's just this consistency in practice. And then there are things that happen and you're like, wow, like, uh, and I really remember standing in front of the fire and like the fire trucks were rushing in. It was a scene. It was very like dramatic. And um, people were coming up to me and being like, you're okay. And I was like, yeah, I know. I, this, But like, this is wild. You know, this is crazy. And all, I, all these people, we live in a, on a big property that has like a lot of staff like coming in and out. 
And <laughs> I kept like 30 to 45 minutes later after I was like, kind of like, oh, like, are you okay? Are you okay? I'd be like, yeah, yeah. And then this guy, Johnny, I'll never forget from the kitchen staff came up and he was like, yo, Melissa, this is crazy. And I was like, yeah, I know. Um, and something about standing there, like watching your life kind of go up in flames. And granted, like we have a full on safety event. We have both of our, both sets of our parents are together and alive. Um, we have a great community of friends and family and we have a savings account. So we're, we were not, but it's still pretty jarring um, to, to watch, but it's, it's valuable to have the tools to know how to be present for your own um, undoing, <laughs> so to speak, um, and to be able to watch it and absorb it. And I think that so much of my yoga practice and what like kind of comes after the house fire is, is that of like not rushing to like figure things out but allowing myself to sit and like really experience and feel Mm. Um, because I'm quite a headstrong person and prone to um, like over analyzing and crafting and creating a lesson out of something that is happening like right as it's happening. And yoga has really given me the confidence in myself and just the tools and the skills to be a better listener and observer. And then have faith and confidence that the lesson will will evolve over time. Um, and then so as this, uh, in our lives at the time, we were also, we had been married um, for about a year, maybe a little bit less. And we were trying to have a baby. And um, I found out that I was infertile during my yoga teacher training. And it was mm-hmm. also the same week that I found out that I was infertile was like that weekend was the prenatal part of our yoga teacher training. Mm. So it was like kind of like a knife wound mm-hmm, in the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry. But yeah, it's it was it was difficult. Um, and I think that the timing of these things for me, I sometimes need like really obvious roadmap. <laughs> like um and you know there was a lot there's a lot um you know women who are listening to this who struggle with infertility or trying to get pregnant know that there's like a lot of advice that comes (laughs) to you yep um even if you don't want to have kids there's a lot of advice about kids that comes to you as a woman and um and that weekend the prenatal teacher um I was chatting with her about infertility and you know, she said, you know, Melissa, like every woman, whether she has kids or not, um, will eventually come face to face with their expectations about what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a mother. And maybe those are just happening for you before you have a kid or or don't have a kid. Um, and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to sit with that a little bit. But I, th- I think it was really, it was wise advice for all that came after that. And so when you asked me to come on and talk about healing, I was like, well, you know, I didn't really fix myself. Like I'm not, I can't have kids. Um, that's something that I discovered later on, mm-hmm. like a year and a half later. So um, what does healing mean to you? Like in the context so, we're talking about today? Yeah. So healing, I think for me is a recognition of your essential wholeness mm-hmm. of being being able to 
as I kind of was talking about with the house fire, of like being able to be present for things that are difficult and also things that are really joyful, like not to be suspicious of, of joy and not to push away sorrow, that it, that each of these are really valuable things that it's important to experience, uh, not that you have to invite it in, but there's the expression that like everything happens for a reason. And I, after going through all of this, um, I just, I just agree. <laughs> I think everything happens. Everything happens. And you have the opportunity to, to use it to better understand yourself, to connect to your own um, resilience and strength. And the part of you that isn't, that doesn't change regardless of what things are happening in your life. Mm -hmm. um, later after it actually, probably by the time this podcast airs, I will have been the one year anniversary of my hysterectomy. So a year ago. So after the infertility stuff and the second um, endocrinologist that I went to, found uh, fibroids in my uterus. And there were a lot of other challenges with egg production and like the shape and size of my uterus um, that were the reasons that I wasn't getting pregnant. And this was more of like a later stage symptom um, mm -hmm. that presented itself. And um, when I found out, like, you know, they're pretty small. It didn't really impact my life. I didn't even really notice them. Um, and then they started getting bigger. And, um, of course I tried all sorts of things mm -hmm. <laughs> to, um, heal them or to get them to go away and, or shrink them or what have you. And I, I'm glad that I did those things. Um, but it did reach a point where I needed to have surgery and I decided to have a hysterectomy. Um, and yeah, it sucked. And there's not really like, uh, there's not like a silver lining mm. side of that. It was really hard. It is really hard. Um, it was the right choice for me. And now having even having more hindsight behind me of like, I do feel better um, physically. But if I had an option not to do it, <laughs> I wouldn't, it's, I, it wasn't something that I invited in. Uh, if I could have gotten pregnant, I would have. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like the, um, but when, when I couldn't and when I didn't, I realized that I was still myself and I was still whole, like with or without a baby, with or without this like identification um, that I had. I didn't even know that it was an expectation that I had of myself. I was really young when I got married and when I started to try to have kids. I, I found out that I was infertile when I was 30 years old. Mm -hmm. um, I'm 36 as of last month. I had a hysterectomy when I was 35. Like this is very young, unexpected mm -hmm. for sure. Um, but it doesn't change how I see myself mm -hmm. in the world. It doesn't change my view of my inherent worthiness. Do you think that's where the yoga comes in? It's not so much that it's the medicine to the problem, but it affects the way you experience the challenge and it also helps your body allow whatever healing you need to have to unfold. Yeah. From that place of Yeah, I think 
all of the both of those things. Yeah. I mean, of course, when I um, have injuries or uh, recovering from surgery, like I know my cells really well. Mm-hmm. Not just like I know how to rotate my femur bone, but I know like my body tells me things. Mm-hmm. My body t- tells me when it's ready to do things physically. Like when I, I ended up having to have a cesarean section hysterectomy, which is like the most um, invasive version mm-hmm. of the surgery. It takes a, a lot longer time to heal. Um, and I knew that I didn't want to move my pelvis <laughs> and I knew when I could. Um, you know, months later when it was time, like I didn't, nobody, like nobody sent me, the doctor doesn't send you a note of like, now you may anteriorly Uh to forward Uh tilt your pelvis. (laughs) Like you have to, you have to know and figure those things out for yourself. And I, so I think the asana practice gives you the tools to know yourself, um, both physically, but also use those tools to observe yourself in stillness. I mean, that's where I think that's really what it's designed for, at least has been for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So, but I also think that so much that, that when you're on this inquiry process, again, it's not always easy. There's challenges involved with like looking at all sides of yourself. You might not like everything that you see initially or can be hard to face, um, some of your vulnerabilities, some of your insecurities. But then the, the the longer time you spend in stillness with yourself inquiring, the more comfortable you are with yourself mm-hmm. and are able to work with being conscious of some things that, you know, can kind of lead you in on a more insecure path and and work with things that make you feel stronger and more resilient. Or in my case, like, um, you know, everyone, when, before, before I had my hysterectomy, everyone was like, you're so strong. I'm like, yeah, I know. I, my challenge isn't being strong. My challenge is like being soft and vulnerable and being quiet and listening. And that's what yoga has given me is like the confidence to be an open, receptive mm-hmm person in the world and not to push away mm-hmm. um and not and like when I was on this big long journey to find yoga or to find come back to the divine in a different way um it was really about not running so much and being quiet and being comfortable in my own skin and mm-hmm. not using my personality as a shield um towards feeling anything yeah. um and I, I hear a lot in what you're saying, um, you're kind of mentioning between the lines that personal practice that, you know, we have by ourselves at home, but mm-hmm. for people that their practice is mostly led in classes or in studios, do you have a tip for them to know, how do they know if the teacher or the class or the format is the right fit for them in a way where the container will allow their healing to take place or to unfold for whatever they're going through? Yeah. I mean, one thing that I think is worth mentioning here is that when I was going through all of this stuff with the house, with infertility, with the hysterectomy and over, you know, those many years, um, I had already been practicing yoga for quite a long time. And so it was an already an embodied, embedded practice. Um, and because of that, perhaps my healing or the, the process of understanding my way through all of that maybe seemed faster to other people. I don't know. Um, but 
I know for other people who are going through difficult times and even some trauma, like where they have um, felt threats of violence or or some other things that you have to find practices that are are different for you. Like if you're a soldier returning from war, or if you if you're a woman who's uh, survived assault, um, to find people who can maybe relate to and help you with your unique trauma, whether that's a talk therapist or yoga teachers who are trained in those certain specific mm-hmm. kind of scenarios. And there are a lot out there, and I think that yoga is becoming way more accessible for those folks. I know that my teachers are, my teachers are, I'm really lucky. (laughs) I really lucked out in the teacher and mentor department. Um, And all my teachers are very different. um, But I would say that the one thing that they share in common is their, um, they're not ones to put themselves up on a pedestal Mm -hmm. or to claim some sort of crown for my development mm-hmm. um like all they've often put my learning back on my shoulders they're always up for a good debate which of course any yoga teacher of mine would need to be up for a, a good solid debate and to be able to um you know when something isn't working to try something different and not to be so rooted and this is the only way to move your body mm-hmm. this is like what happens when you can't move your body that way mm-hmm. um So finding a space and a classroom, I also think it's important to try different teachers, even if you are really comfortable with your teacher. Um, I think that the yoga practice, having some variation, both in your physical body, gives you more options, um, but also in just how information is presented and shared um, and how the tools, whether they're philosophical tools or movement tools are disseminated and like Sometimes you need to go somewhere and and take a class with a teacher who doesn't resonate with you to know that to have a deeper connection with your teacher. So I I I say finding and also teachers who like encourage you to use props. I'm a big I'm a big fan <laughs> of props. So if your teacher's like you can never have a prop or you're weak or like tells you that pain is just weakness leaving the body, like get out of there. You know, like get out of there as quickly as you can. <laughs> Like, so look for a teacher that empowers you. Yeah, look for someone who empowers you and doesn't take credit for your development um, and encourages you to take an responsibility. Responsibility, because I think it's very easy for us. Because it's hard. Like the spiritual complexity of life is well, it's complex, and we need to all try to do a better job to take agency of our own development, whether it be physical development, movement development, or spiritual development. And having a teacher that really encourages you to do that is super helpful because what they do usually, you know, I feel like my teachers often do for me is they have accumulated this like incredible toolbox and they're never withholding of opening that toolbox and being like, here's a tool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't, you don't have to take it. But not like this is the only tool for you. Mm-hmm. Like no more tool, no other tools. Where you have to sit with only this tool forever and always. But there's a there's a lot to offer out there. And so I think having a having a teacher that encourages um, you to explore and um, maybe challenge. I like to have a little bit of a challenge too. Yeah. You know, you have to get a little bit uncomfortable to evolve. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you just sit on your couch all the time. Um, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. 
Um, you mentioned a piece that I think is super important about embodiment and mm. even listening and being connected in a way that we understand the messages of our body. Mm-hmm. For students out there that are like, eh, I'm not really even sure what that means. You yeah. know, there's dissociation or there's like that disconnection. How, in your opinion, can yoga help us slowly but surely get back to that open line of communication? Mm. Um well, I think that first of all, I I love movement in general. Mm-hmm. Um and I think when I learn new how to do new things kinesthetically with my body or like movement-wise with my body a new pattern, um a new way of doing triangle pose or a new way of standing with my feet on the floor and like really closing my eyes and trying to understand the relationship of my feet on the floor, how to do different kinds of lunch. Like I learn my, I learn, I give my brain options to move through space Mm -hmm. and I give my body options to move through space. And the reason that yoga is so powerful, I, or yoga asana in particular in terms of a learning tool is that it's at a, or I hope I, sh- I I encourage that it that it's at a pace where you can pay attention. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- I think it's a when I go to the gym sometimes, or I'm like doing a high intensity interval training, which I love to do. Um, I'm not always like paying attention to the subtleties of like the cells and my breath in my body, but when I'm in a familiar pose um at this point when i'm in a familiar pose and i experiment with it i think i get a new pathway but i think for people who are learning their bodies Mm -hmm. um there's a certain uh familiarity and attention to detail and at a pace that's slow enough for you to really pay attention to what's happening in your body and not be on autopilot and not be on autopilot and then when you start to go on autopilot to go to a different teacher try doing triangle pose a different way um, and to add variability and and a little bit of change in your practice or to really then be present with not the sensation of your hamstrings, but like what's happening in between every vertebra mm-hmm. of your spine when you're mm-hmm. doing a forward fold. Like so that your attention becomes more diffused throughout your whole body rather than often I think when we're first learning a thing, our attention goes to the most obvious sensation for a straight beginner, it's probably going to be like the awkwardness of doing a thing unless you have some other like movement background. Um, and then it will be like, oh, yeah, this is a hamstring stretch. OK, well, this is a hamstring stretch. But what's also happening in the spine? What's also mm-hmm. happening in my breath? What's also happening um, in m- my fingers that yeah. are like totally not even maybe f- experiencing any kind of gross sensation in the pose? Mm-hmm. Um so diffusing attention over the field of your body, both what's happening in your in your muscles and your tissues, but also what's happening in the su- subtler layers of who you are, like what's happening in your mind yeah. when you're in a forward bend. And even just noticing and just recognizing like, oh, I'm thinking about a burrito. Like that's not bad. That's, that's what you should be doing. It's a noticing of without trying to form uh, or, or jump to a conclusion or create a lesson before experiencing and noticing what's come up instead of just bypassing of like, I'm bored right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's something. Oh, I registered that. Now I'm going to move on Mm -hmm. and return to my breath or whatever it is. 
Um, or if you're doing something even more obvious, like a pose that's really frustrating, like an inversion or an arm balance or a back bend that does have some physical challenge to it. If you feel really good about yourself after you do it, that's something. That's some information. That's a lesson. That's some information. If you feel really frustrated and that can vacillate from day to day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some days you're like light as a feather. And that's even even though I've been practicing now for a, for a while and I would say that people who have been practicing with me for even longer can totally resonate with like some days you feel heavy mm-hmm. and some days you feel like you could float through space. And um, that contrast gives us even more information mm-hmm. because you have like that depth of understanding mm-hmm. of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And do I need a different practice today mm-hmm. if I'm feeling this way? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think in particular, it was really interesting to to recover from having a pretty major surgery. Um, even longer than I've been practicing yoga, I've been a runner, a trail runner, long distance runner. And <laughs> once I got cleared from the doctor, I went out on a run and I was like, oh, my God, is this how hard it is for other people to run? This is terrible. <laughs> So I totally forgot. That's how hard it is for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned something about the pace of the practice to have space to see, but that al- that also brings up for me like the impact on the nervous system mm-hmm. and how nervous system and healing are related so closely and you can't really have one if you're always stuck into your fight or flight side and you yeah. can't relax into it. So how can we tap through yoga? Like what are the things that we should think about within the practice other than the pace um, to really make space for the rest, digest, and restore possibilities? You know, it's interesting. For whatever reason, I think this is a more recent thing in the last few years. Um, I don't know why it's happened, but there tends to be like these qualifiers of like, I teach yoga and meditation. Mm-hmm. Meditation is yoga. Mm-hmm. Like that's there from the beginning, like even more than all these other postures that are not that old is, is the meditation. Um, and we, you know, I, I, I want to encourage people to show up for whatever reason. If you come to my vinyasa classes, they're going to be physically demanding and they're going to be challenging and, you know, they may increase your muscle tone. And if that's what you're looking for, fine. Like you're welcome in the room so long as you're not distracting somebody else's process. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So I don't want to over say that like, well, the yoga that I'm teaching is right because it's at the specific pace (laughs) and, you know, a restorative teacher would be like, you're moving way too fast. (laughs) So I think we're just really now in starting to really understand the relationship of the nervous system to chronic pain, to um, mental health. um, And I'm not a a pain scientist, but um, there's a lot of really interesting research that's being done in pain science Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. right now. And they're kind of... Considering the physiological model of like you hurt yourself, you feel pain, what have you, um, and but also trying to understand this like psycho emotional model of the community of people that you surround yourself with, your ability to discern what's happening to you while it's happening, and then like have a, a language of understanding what's happening to you while it's happening is really mindfulness mm-hmm. um, at its root, at its core. 
And I think with stillness, people don't expect it to be as challenging as it is because Mm -hmm. it's so simple. Mm -hmm. And so then they're like, oh, this is really challenging. Am I doing it wrong? And like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, you know, as the kind of the thread through this is that um, showing up and being still and present with yourself is one of, I think, is one of the most valuable things that you can do. However you need to do that, whether it's lying on your back, whether it's holding a yoga asana posture for a longer period of time that you're like more comfortable in like a down dog for a longer period of time or a triangle pose for a longer period of time and just inquiring in that space, Um, whether you do it with your eyes open, whether you do it walking, whether you're outside, inside, um, it's, it's really a valuable it's. I think it's the kind of the meat and potatoes of, of all this. And to share my one of my own personal experiences, again, recovering from surgery, it was much more invasive than I expected. Everyone told me when I was going to surgery that I was going to crush it, that I was so strong. I went in, I had like in the pre-op room, it was all set up. Everyone was really cool. They were, it was the summer. So they were talking about vacation plans and um, I'd had like a nice little drug cocktail <laughs> and I was talking to my nurse about baseball and I'm like closed my eyes and we getting wheeled into the room, chanting the Gayatri mantra in my mind and I was good. And then I woke up and like everything was not fine. Like yeah. alarms were going off. I'd been cut open. I was bleeding. I like, it was a complete, and, and for somebody who is sensitive to physical sensation and it and is in body I was like oh my god like this is weird I could everything. everything yeah nothing this is not okay um and so I spent the the night in the hospital and when I got home I didn't put pressure on myself to learn any like big lessons of like what does it all mean but I did my regular meditation practice kind of propped up and like lounging back but but still and I thought for whatever reason in my mind, I was like, well, maybe I should do a guided meditation. And I turned on the audio recording. And as soon as I closed my eyes, my body was like, no, 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 you got some stuff to deal with. So I turned off the audio recording. And I realized that my body was still sitting with this kind of frenetic energy that if I hadn't taken time to be still with myself and close my eyes and really feel and experience what was going on in my body, I might have missed it. Mm-hmm. And I found that my nervous system really needed to both be thanked and to be reassured because like, listen, you know, I said to my nervous system, I said, Hey, listen, listen, guys, like you did the right thing in that situation. The next time, like I get my stomach cut open, I want you to respond in the exact Mm -hmm. same way. Like I want you to be like, Whoa, what's going on? And to kind of be on edge and to have that, that vibratory feeling of like, Whoa, what's going on? Um, but now we're home. We're safe. You're whole. It's going to be fine. Like, mm. you know, thank you for your service. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now we can, we can rest. And now we have to do the work of being quiet and, and healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even just having a conversation with your body is like, uh, and listening to your intuition. And, um, I think one of the things that I've really learned in the last couple of years with all that's gone on, particularly in the last year dealing, like kind of recovering from the surgery and and processing um, now with a little bit of hindsight is like, we are all not just worthy of like being here, but we are worthy of contributing our, our note and our, our, our sauna to the, to the thing, you know? So it's like not every practice has already been written. Mm-hmm. 
And there are some improvements that we can and should make to how we how we disseminate these teachings in the future so that people feel embodied, so that people feel like they have agency over their practice, so that people feel not necessarily, I feel like safety is the wrong word because, you know, safety implies that you're never like confronting an edge of anything, of any growth edge, but to feel like nurtured and, and, and uh, walked through the experience of, of um, kind of, feeling confident enough to inquire at a deeper level of, of who they mm -hmm, are. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, a lot of yoga practitioners and yoga teachers, we wrestle with like sort of an imposter syndrome of like, who am I mm -hmm. to share this <laughs> yeah. kind of stuff with people? I don't know. <laughs> but, but we are all learning and growing together. And I think, you know, these – just having the having that moment of realizing like oh i i don't need somebody else to walk me through this meditation right now like i'm i can do it <laughs> you know mm -hmm. i i have all the tools i need that that is like the teaching of yoga is that the yoga practice doesn't it, you're not doing yoga to make yourself more perfect you're doing yoga to realize that you're already perfect and whole as you are and even the small, this is the, the lesson of the Bhagavad Gita is like, even the smallest amount of yoga practice can liberate you from the greatest fear. It's like, okay, well, yeah, you might as well do, you know, it's like, all right, I got five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, okay. so just go, just try. Like the, if you're doing it right, mm -hmm. you're doing it right. Mm -hmm. If you feel weird, you're doing it right. If you feel like it's going great, you're doing it right. Like, there's so many feelings and and that come into trying to figure out like and relate to this world and like be present in this world like yeah. it's confusing the one way to fail is to not show up and so just you know just show up see what happens you're gonna yeah see what happens mm -hmm. like mistakes are inevitable yeah uh it's all part of the journey it's all part of the process so uh, you talked about safety, and there's one thing we haven't touched that I would like to talk mm -hmm. about before we finish, is that physical safety and the chances of injuries or mm -hmm. things like that. So how can people or students can stay safe in their body, mm -hmm. and how can teacher make sure they're offering a safe practice? I'm sure you have an opinion on that. Uh, I have I have opinions <laughs> on that. Yeah, I have some opinions on that. Um, well, one thing that... Or there's a two. Th I think two things that the yoga community, physically, like from a kinesiology perspective, could mm -hmm. learn from exercise science and from the fitness yeah. world. One is progression, mm -hmm. um, and the second is variability. Mm -hmm. um, progression meaning um, that the body, your joints, are introduced to demand to load in a intermittent way. Um, so for example, like what is the best way to prepare the wrists, shoulders, um, uh, for handstand? Mm -hmm. Cause that's like a lot of load to just mm -hmm. start throwing people up in the beginning of practice. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can probably get away with it if you have a certain body type, but for a lot of people, not only is it safer for them to have more preparation going into these poses, but 
at some point they'll be able to learn it mm-hmm. otherwise they're just gonna like kick up forever and ever and ever and, and and not really have any tools to um to get to this other place so if that's a goal building so blocks. building blocks exactly um and there are ways definitely ways to do that and still maintain the kind of the feeling of the container of a, of a yoga space yeah um I think that's changing a lot now uh, and for and for the better. And variability similarly, um, interestingly enough, for whatever reason, people like talk about me as an alignment teacher. And I think it's just because like in certain situations, whether we're working up to a moment or we're learning a specific action in the body, um, I do ask students to play with some specific details. Um, but I am by no means like this is the only way to, to do something. In fact, I encourage people to do things in as many different ways as possible because when you and sometimes it's so simple. Sometimes it could be like you're in a seated straddle, like Upavishta Konasana, and your feet are flexed and your toes are curling back to your shins just like with as much vigor as you can manage and your inner knees are hurting you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can have a teacher that comes up and you say, oh, my inner knees are hurting me in Upavishta Konasana. And you have a teacher who says, well, don't do Upavishta Konasana. Or you have a teacher who says, okay, well, what happens when you point your toes in Upavishta Konasana the other direction? Mm-hmm. Oh, my knee stops hurting. Mm-hmm. Great. You're going to do Upavishta Konasana like that for like three weeks and then try it with your feet flex. Yeah. Oh, you know, this is this poses we're not we're not diagnosing injuries here, but we can we can by all means give people suggestions about their postures. Yeah. Um and things so to play with. So they can experiment and they can decide for mm-hmm. themselves if that works better for them. Yeah. Um, and it's not just about getting the form correct. It's mm-hmm. about introducing to the body a lot of different patterns. Um, in particular, like, you know, like Chaturanga is a big one. Chaturanga gets a really bad press. Um, and there's nothing inherently bad about Chaturanga, but like your body, your back body, your shoulders, like the back part of your shoulder also wants to be strong, not just the front part of your shoulders. Yeah. And you can do that by getting really, really, really creative on your yoga mat. Or you can just go to the gym and like pull a weight up off the floor, and then and that's so easy. You don't have there's Balance no creativity <laughs> required. There's no creativity required. But if you do, and I think it's important for for yoga teachers to also just know how to do that in their own bodies, um, and use straps and use bolsters and use sandbags to add load and just changing the relationship of the body to gravity Mm -hmm. can make a really big difference on balancing out the strength and flexibility around the joint all the way around. Mm -hmm. Um, So as students, get curious. As teachers, get curious and play with your practice. Um, And that in in and of itself is a practice and discernment and an inquiry because it requires you to play and we're allowed we're allowed to have fun and change change things in asana like there are some parts of this practice that are really sacred um you know to me like i think some of these you know these mantras that i chant like i'm not changing those i'm not changing the words like i don't want (laughs) to like those to me are are sacred and i think we need to also be really considerate and honor where this practice comes from and the culture that it comes from but i think when it comes to asana like these poses are not the holy grail of they didn't come down from on high like some dude made them up not that long ago and we're allowed to play with 
how our bodies feel. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of them were like designed for young boys. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important. It's also like important for us to not like, I, I also see this energy sometimes of like, well, like passive stretching is bad and like yoga is bad for you. Mm-hmm. Like, listen, <laughs> that is also inaccurate. It's like, cause you kind of like people do that where they can't sit with the complexity of things needing multiple dimensions and they just turn their back. Like I did when I was a kid, I turned my back on God. People turn their back on like doing a f- passive forward fold. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, passive forward folds have given you a lot. <laughs> like just, just do a deadlift <laughs> and then you could do another passive forward fold. Yeah. But like, you know, it's too much not, of anything is not great. Too for much of anything. Um, and also the application of like when uh, I was thinking about this conversation of healing um, and I was thinking about like there was when I was trying to get pregnant the first time I wasn't drinking um, at the time for my yoga practice. And then um, I like very rarely ate meat and had a very like clean diet. And, you know, people were telling me all kinds of things. And similarly with like fibroids at that point, I had already like been through that whole thing. And so like, I, I am very clear to like make a boundary of like, yeah, I don't want your diet. Like I, I want my acupuncturist's advice. I want my doctor's advice. I want, um, I want my friend's advice who I like have a conversation with, but I think that sometimes I've noticed in the last couple of years in the wellness space is like, you know, celery juice can be really healing if you feel whole and you want to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Celery, ju- celery juice can be poison if you're drinking it because you don't think you're, you're beautiful enough or you're mm-hmm. skinny enough or your skin doesn't glow enough. Like, and, and similarly with yoga of like, are we showing up on the mat to like flog ourselves and punish ourselves for being human? Are we showing up on our mats to celebrate that Mm -hmm. we're human Mm -hmm. and we're allowed to wholeheartedly participate uh, and we can do that and evolve this practice forward. So it is really inclusive and is really honoring of the culture that it comes from and makes people, doesn't alienate people. Um, I do really genuinely believe that yoga is for everyone and it has been the most, I mean, and all of the tools in the practice, like we talk about doing yoga, um, but really we're like applying all of these tools and yoga is this kind of space filler word, but yoga is is the experience of embodiment of, of that deepest, deepest kernel of your core that feels unshakable and cannot be changed it's like the winds blow, but your roots are strong. Um, and I think for me, like what what kept me so steady through all of those challenges in my life and continues to, like where we are um, in the process of potentially adopting in the future. And I know like I'm going to need to have some pretty freaking <laughs> steady roots for that or and potentially like being a parent, like you need to like have steady roots for that because they're going to be, the, this is a chaotic world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's important to like be able to move with the breeze. Um, otherwise you're going to get rocked and you're going to get knocked over. But, um, so you got to move, you got to fluctuate, you got to adapt, but that there is this steady kind of understanding of, of who you are and a confidence enough to like show up wholeheartedly in the world. 
Um, and some days it's easier than others, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. On my best day, I'm just totally enamored with being witness to creation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then on my worst day, I'm like, I hate everyone. <laughs> I need to take a nap. But, you know, it, so it's a fluctuation. And, yeah. And, yeah. and we get to do it all together, too. We don't mm-hmm. have to be alone on the path. There's mm-hmm. a lot of other people who want you to be well. Yeah. I think that's a great way to conclude. Um, I will put all your info in the show notes, obviously. But in the meantime, where's the best place for people to find you? They want to say hello. They want to chat more or they yeah. want to study with you. Um, definitely chat more. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, yeah, I, I teach here in the Bay area at yoga works, uh, and also in point Reyes at point Reyes yoga. I have some, uh, in the fall, I have a, an inversion workshop happening in September. I have a one day retreat in point Reyes with my, uh, teaching partner and work wife, Sarah Hess. And, uh, that's going to be really fun. We're also in the process of developing a workshop that we're hoping to hold in San Francisco, a weekend workshop series that we're hoping to hold in in San Francisco, kind of related to the topic of one of your last questions of like, how do we add this variability with and still keep like the feeling of a vinyasa practice? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So look for that. Uh, But so the best way I would say to keep in touch with me um, online is like social media on Instagram or really the best way is to go to my website, sign up for my newsletter and you'll get all the info, but I teach week- weekly great. public classes and be great to see ya. Awesome. Thank yeah. you so much for your time today. Thank you, Erica. Thank you so much for listening. We have a degree guest coming up, so make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any. Now, if you want to make my day, you want to help other people find this podcast, and or you want to win $75 shop card from Athleta, all you have to do is head on to iTunes or on the podcast app of your iPhone, go on the show's page, scroll down, and click the link, write a review. As you leave your review, you automatically enter a giveaway. You don't have to do anything else. And I announce the winner on the next episode after a random draw. If you're newer to reviews and you need even more detailed instruction, check out the show notes. You'll also find there more info about our guests of today. And you can visit my website for those two things at ericabelanger.com slash blog dash podcast. Our last episode was also supported by Athleta. Thank you so much if you left a review. The winner of that giveaway is iTunes user KK Brock. KK Brock said, The recent episode with Jane Austen discussing the magic of the pelvic floor was an absolute must-listen for all women. I learned so much about first connecting to your pelvic floor and the importance of keeping those muscles both toned and supple. And what she said about reclaiming the power that emanates from the sacred part of a woman was truly inspiring. Thank you, Erica, for continuing to bring on such interesting and knowledgeable guests. Well, thank you, KK Brock, for your comment. KK Brock, email me at erica.belanger at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram and I'll send you your shop cards. Guys, also, don't forget to visit patreon.com slash on and off your mat to donate or become maybe our first monthly member. Before we go, just one last thank you to Alexander Saba working in the background, creating the music, editing, and mastering this podcast. Once again, thank you for joining us. Until next time.